Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. gospel reading comes to us from the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 18, beginning with verse 21. Let us listen for the word of God. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported all of this to their Lord and all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy upon you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do every, do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, and in light of the gospel lesson just read, and recalling the Lord's prayer, which we will soon pray. I pray, O Lord, give us this day our daily bread, and do not forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God that God is so much better at forgiveness than each of us are. Over and over again in the Bible, we learn of a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, 77 chances. We learn of a God who, in Jesus Christ, in spite of creation's antipathy, apathy, willful ignorance, outright rejection, rebellion, 
flawed obedience in spite of imperfection and sinfulness, God reveals the unfathomable mystery of his love for us and others in Jesus Christ. As Romans 5, 8 tells us, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. As we proclaim in the assurance of forgiveness, as Beverly proclaimed to each one of us, the good news of the gospel is this, that in Jesus Christ we are forgiven. The prayer that I offered at the outset of this sermon, do not forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, was offered by Bob Norris at the Royal Point Santa Chapel in Palm Beach, Florida, the church I previously served before my move to Madison Avenue. It points to the fact that God forgives us and commends us to forgive others, yet highlights the startling point that we, the recipients of God's grace, can find it so challenging to extend forgiveness to others. Put simply, there is often, with some exceptions, a large gap between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. If we pay attention to what we pray weekly, a possible interpretation is that God's forgiveness is based upon our forgiveness of others. And what a terrible thought. The parable Jesus gives about the king and the slave, the lender and the debtor, shows that there is a commensurate relationship between our forgiving others and God's forgiveness of us. We get from God what we give to others. Jesus' parable about the lender and the debtor and about how the debtor refuses to forgive the debts of others while being forgiven himself affirms this concerning and condemning interpretation. We get from God what we give to others. If this is really the case, then we're in quite the predicament. Think about your own life and your own experiences. Think about the forgiveness that you may have held, you may have withheld from others. Think about times in your life when you've refused to forgive, when you have harbored resentment and the hurt someone else caused you. Think about times when you've been slow and hesitant to forgive the actions of another. Think about times when you've beat yourself up over actions that you've undertaken, the shame and the guilt that you have felt. We're not very good at forgiveness. With these instances fresh in your mind, do you really want to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Is this an arrangement that's in each of our best interests? Forgiveness is difficult, yet it is entirely within our control. It's your choice to forgive or not, and so if you read this prayer as an arrangement, it's up to you whether or not God will forgive you. Forgive others, God forgives you. And if forgiveness is in your control, then God's love and forgiveness of you is 
in your control. And yet, we know that there is something within us that often springs up when we are wronged or when we do wrong, something that makes forgiveness seem outside of our control. I don't know about you, but I have felt it. I have felt an emotion, something boiling up inside, something intangible, emotional, that sometimes makes it seem almost impossible to forgive. In the very act of forgiveness, we realize our need for God's help. We realize that we may not fully be in control. We need God's help in letting go of past hurt, of past shame and guilt, of past historic injustice. After the widespread success of mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, famed Oxford and Cambridge professor and lay theologian, was asked by a publishing house to write a book on pain. And after giving it some thought, he responded to the publishing house that he'd be willing to write this book, but only if he was allowed to write, write it under a pseudonym. Because he told them that anyone who knew him personally would know that he was being forced to write things of such fortitude and strength that those who knew him personally would know that he was not living up to what he academically believed to be true. He was afraid people would know him as a fraud, saying what he had difficulty practicing. I believe the same can be said about us and the practice of forgiveness. So much easier to talk about, so much easier to commend than to actually do. In fact, forgiveness might be one of the most difficult things Christians are called to do because forgiveness requires something from ourselves. Forgiveness costs us something. In the parable, it costs the king, the lender, everything that was owed. It costs him quite a bit. The debtor who collected his debts refused to make the same sacrifice. Last week, I preached on love, and I made a comment that love sometimes causes us pain. It certainly did for God, who through Jesus Christ endured pain upon the cross so that we might know the fullness of his love for each of us. We aren't called to make that sacrifice, but we are called to trust in the grace and mercy that God shows us in that sacrifice. And to not only say that God's love in Jesus Christ makes a difference in our life, but to live like it. Forgiveness might be a struggle, but it is a struggle very much worth having. Because Lewis Smedes, former professor of Fuller Seminary, describes, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free. And then you discover that that prisoner was you. Desmond Tutu And who better to quote on a sermon on forgiveness wrote, Forgiveness is the way we heal the world by telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and renewing or releasing the relationship. Until we forgive he and his dog, 
daughter writes, we remain locked in our pain and locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom, locked out of the possibility to be at peace. Without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound with chains of bitterness tied together and trapped. Forgiveness, in other words, is as good for us as it is for those we forgive. Maybe it's even better for us than for others. Forgiveness is hard, which is why we so look up to people who do it. It's why we admire people like Desmond Tutu. Or I think back years ago to the Amish community that forgave a shooter in their community and school. I would so much want to avoid those moments in which forgiveness was even necessary. But we live in a fallen and broken world where hurt is caused, damage and injustice inflicted. And through forgiveness, we show Christ within this world. And we are given forgiveness not only as an opportunity in which we can be the light for Christ by living into it, but it is also a coping mechanism so that we can navigate the world in a better way. We are better off if we do as God commends. We're better off if we forgive. And I admit that it's hard, but it is worth the struggle. When Jesus responds to Peter's question at the outset about how often we should forgive others, Jesus says not seven times, but 77 times, and some translate this as 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't keep count. Just keep forgiving inexhaustibly. Forgive over and over again. And this is because God never gives up on us. God repeatedly forgives us, and so we are called to forgive others. Jesus' number of 77 may not be arbitrary. Representative of infinity, probably yes, but an inexhaustible number of times to forgive others, and the number 77, I, I'm not so sure. Jesus could have probably just as easily said, forgive another 88 times, or 80 times 8, or 90 times 9, 99 times. He could have chosen any number. Now, one of the things I find most fascinating about the study of Scripture is how internally a consistent document it is. And the more we learn about the Bible, the more we learn about faith. And the more the Bible illuminates deep themes for us. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 4, we read of Cain's killing of Abel and Cain's subsequent punishment. And we read about one of Cain's descendants, Lamech, who boastfully makes this remark, Hear my voice, listen to what I say. I have killed a man, a young man, for wounding me, for striking me. If Cain was avenged sevenfold, Truly, Lamech will be avenged 77-fold. 
when Jesus instructs us to forgive 77 times, perhaps we are undoing the harmful ways of living that caused Cain to be outcast. When we forgive, we are moving closer to being the people that God made us and designed us to be in Jesus Christ before Cain killed Abel, before the fall. When we do as God commends and we forgive one another, even 77 times with some specificity and intentionality in that number, just maybe we're opening ourselves to a new way of life, a way of life that's marked by the freedom of Christ, one where we do not believe that we are in control, we are not the judge who exacts the debt, we are the ones instead who put our hope and trust in God. We are the ones who receive the forgiveness of our debts the same way that debtor received forgiveness that day. We are given an opportunity of life. As Psalm 103 describes, 103 verses 10 through 12, God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us for our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards all who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. God does not forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and thanks be to God for that. Instead, he sets the example, he gives us the bar to reach for, he convicts us of our shortcomings, of our weakness, and our need for grace. This is why I'm not proposing we change the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said what he said, and that's enough for me, and in the hymn we will now sing, I'm going to sing it exactly as it is written. However, I think you'll read the lyrics of this hymn, with a new and, I hope, profound understanding of what it means to say this as we will shortly around the communion table. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As I sing, I will be giving thanks to God for forgiveness, a forgiveness that he gives to me so much better than I give to others. I will be doing it acknowledging my shortcoming, my imperfection, my sin and my fault, and my need for God. And I'll acknowledge how nothing can be done apart from God. Not even that which may seem to be within our control. The act of forgiveness. God forgives us our debts. And so live in that freedom. But with that, with that hope, with that grace, and with that mercy, comes the responsibility to try to try to extend such hope, such grace, such mercy to others. We need God's help. Let's pray for it. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.